case. Hope Not Hates are basically controlling Britain. Hope Not Hate, an alluring name for those more concerned about social justice than truth. These backwards, these backward thinking, virtue, sick, virtue signaling, fake news crazy. Yeah. Welcome to the latest Hope Not Hate podcast. I'm Matthew McGregor and today I'm going to be talking about the coronavirus as we are always doing at the moment. I'm joined by our head of policy, Rosie Carter. We're going to do this over Skype from our homes. So I apologize in advance if there's any tech problems, but given this is the same setup that like literally BBC News are doing, hopefully everyone's used to it by now. Rosie, how are you doing? I'm all right. I'm glad it's sunny. It it it, it is sunny, and um, I have a garden, so I'm like in a very lucky small slice of the population that I get to go outside whenever I like, and that the blue sky is um, keeping me going at the moment. Yeah, I'm just glad it's not January. Yes, yeah, yeah. The small small mercies. Um, I also live quite near a park, but I've kind of, you know, I'm allowed to go and exercise there, but I don't really I don't really want to in case I get shamed by one of these newspaper front pages about people not social distancing so I've been steering clear but I'm sure I'm allowed to go but anyway we are not here to talk about the coronavirus from a point of view of our personal exercise regimes we're going to talk about uh, coronavirus from the point of view of how it's impacting on public opinion and the country so on one level hope not hate in our role of exposing and tracking the far right it's a straightforward um uh, job of work to track what they're saying about the coronavirus, their denialism, their conspiracy theories, their racism, the anti-Semitism. We exist to fight that hatred and uh, there's lots of that going on from our research team and intelligence team. But we also exist to build stronger communities and to understand the risks of where the country's going for community cohesion. But from that perspective, Rosie, not to be too, sort of too blunt on it, but on what on earth does the coronavirus have to do with our work on local communities and, and community cohesion? Yeah, I mean, so we obviously know that there's kind of the immediate impact, the far right of exploiting the crisis. We've seen the kind of conspiracies around 5G linked to anti-Semitism, um, all of these sorts of things. But actually what we're quite interested in as well is the long term impact. Um, any kind of crisis on this scale affects everyone and when it affects everyone like this it affects society and I think that's what we're really looking at I mean we quite often monitor the public mood we do a lot of polling looking at social attitudes mainly looking at how it shifts on issues like immigration or multiculturalism but any kind of big thing like this crisis will have a huge impact on that and the kind of balance of hope and hate kind of puts is put out of kilter um, so our past research has always seen how these impacts have an effect and we know that this is, is going to be one of those that's going to be quite monumental. So what we wanted to do was better understand how people feel, not only about their current situation, but also looking forward what's going to happen to people's relationship with politics, with power, um, with their communities as well, um, because this is going to test all of that. It changes everything, right? I mean, this is, I don't know, this is the biggest thing I've ever lived through, and I'm I'm quite old. So for a large part of the country, this is this is monumental. I mean, it, it it touches everything: our lives, our relationships, our communities, schooling, the economy. It 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 must people must be feeling it at a very very fundamental level. Yeah, I mean, this is the new normal, and this kind of initial shock has really kind of 
move things and I mean we did some polling in the week before lockdown and then we did some two weeks later and already we found the kind of scale of the crisis hitting home so in the week before lockdown about a third of young people didn't really think it was that serious they thought that it was being exaggerated by the media by politicians and actually that's all gone away now so just 11 percent of people are, are thinking that it's not as serious and actually most people are expecting a period of long economic impact um, that will disrupt their lives about a third of people think that things are going to go back to normal so people are really expecting big 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 change and already people are feeling that so about a third of people that we polled say they're working from home at the moment 13 percent said they've been furloughed about one in ten had had their hours reduced people were dipping into their savings at quite high rates so about one in five people having to dip into their savings already people were struggling with rent with debt particularly millennials so among 25 to 34 year olds about eight percent said they'd lost their jobs already and this is just in the first kind of couple of weeks of lockdown um, there's also kind of some real issues with social distancing and people do feel disconnected not only from their families and their friends but also from their communities and among young people we actually found that a lot of people were feeling a sense of loneliness so almost half of 16 to 24 year olds said that in the last four weeks they had felt a great sense of loneliness and this kind of disconnection will have a huge impact on communities but it's not all bad news. Um, we've also seen kind of a, a shift in the way that people are responding to these things. So it's it's quite natural in a crisis of this scale that people look for hope, people look for stability, they look for positives, they look kind of forward, they know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so I thought it was quite weird when we first got the numbers back. We, we constantly measure levels of optimism, pessimism in this country because we know that where those things tilt at, that that can kind of have an impact on how people will, will respond to different kind of political events. Um, so during the Brexit process, we saw optimism, pessimism switch around. So Leave voters who had kind of previously that, that demographic had been more pessimistic, they became more optimistic because they thought Brexit would bring about these changes, while people who would tended to be Remain voters more kind of comfortably off suddenly became the most pessimistic and we saw kind of pessimism overtake optimism so people were more kind of pessimistic about the future than optimistic so it was not looking too good and quite weirdly we've seen this reverse so up from 46% in December 59% now say they're optimistic for the future so we're seeing this kind of hope coming through which might seem quite strange at a point of crisis. It, it, it struck me as a sort of resiliency that people um, understand the stakes and understand how hard things are, um, but are, are determined to, to get through it. And it, it, it's, it was interesting, um, the, the numbers of, of people who are feeling lonely and, and isolated that totally makes sense, but there are also really high numbers for um, the number of people who have contributed to their community or joined in the clap for our carers do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah I mean so normally when we do this kind of research people aren't that bothered about community I mean a lot for a lot of people it's not that important in their lives um, and actually what we've seen is that that's suddenly become really, really important so the vast majority of people are responding to say that they think community is important I think it was 81 percent said they were impressed at the way that their community had already responded with more than half of people joining in with the clap for carers, about a third of people volunteering to help neighbours. I mean, all of these things are really, really important because 
I think in that long term, if we look at kind of how this will impact, that resilience is there already and people are using this crisis to come together. So one of the things that the far right has, has always tried to do is is to stoke fears about um, immigration. And you know, in, in one way, the virus has given the far right what they want. The, the borders are closed. There's rising racism named at the Chinese community, East Asian community. But at the same time, from the prime minister down, uh, people are praising the contribution of Im- immigration and immigrants uh, to this country, especially in the NHS. What's what's going on? How are, how are people viewing that sort of contradiction or that tension? How's that playing out? I mean, I think uh, most of my research is focused on attitudes to immigration. And I think we talk all the time about this kind of division and polarised debate on immigration. Actually, most people are very rational on immigration. They have this kind of balance in their minds and different things tilt it in different ways. Um, but at the moment, people are seeing the contribution that migrant workers are making. And I mean, we asked a question about people supporting automatic citizenship for EU workers who are contributing during the crisis. And the vast majority of people want to offer automatic citizenship, not just to doctors and nurses, but all the way through to kind of delivery drivers, people working on supermarket lines, these so-called kind of unskilled labourers that we've heard so much about in the media. And I, I don't know whether that's kind of such an automatic tilt or whether it just makes sense to people. I think people have this very kind of commonsensical view on immigration that so long as people are kind of part of their communities, people really think immigration is a good thing. Um, so that's one thing that we've seen. So we we talked a little bit about the, the sort of hopeful, um, you know, communities coming together, um, and and that was that was uh, has been good to see. It's been good to take part. I've probably seen my neighbours more often, just by seeing them on Thursday evening on their front doorsteps um, to clap, than I usually do in in normal times. Um, but this is a this is an economic crisis as well as a health crisis, and those. Um, economic collapses in the past have been uh, have created a fertile breeding ground for the for the far right is there is there any sort of warning lights flashing in this polling that we should be looking out for from that regard yeah i mean i don't want to kind of pour all the bad news on top of the kind of good community efforts but i mean there are a few things happening that we're looking out for um, and also where we see the potential for a kind of rising populist threat after the crisis so I mean, part of this optimism means that people's trust in the political system has actually increased. People want to see political leaders who get them through. And I mean, in the two weeks between both sets of polling that we did, we saw trust in Johnson and the government go up quite a lot. But also people are are critical about it. People think that a lot of people also think that government has acted too slowly. It's quite normal for people to have quite contradicting views about these sorts of things. And people have been quite critical about the lack of PPE for for um, frontline workers and also the lack of testing. So all of these things are, are starting to ebb into that political trust and that relationship with the system. And I think when we start to see the economic impact that people are predicting, I mean, the Financial Times has predicted the worst economic downturn since 1900. So this is going to be huge and this is going to have an in- immediate impact on people. And um, we've already seen this start to start to happen already um but we know when when things are hard people kind of get more resentful they get frustrated if if people don't have kind of hope in their own lives they don't 
really feel hope for other people. So I think what we're going to see is a lot of hard times ahead and a lot of anger and frustration. And when that is met with a kind of sense of failing political system or that this kind of bubble of trust that's that's blown up bursts, if that happens, then it, it creates a void. And what happens when a void like that is created is that opportunists step in and when people don't trust the system, they look outside of it. When that when that bubble burst, where that void is created, there's room there for for populists to to start to exploit some of those resentments and frustrations that that are very real, and they offer very very simple answers to very very complicated problems. So, looking ahead, there's a lot to be done, and I think we need to really kind of capitalise on a lot of that good community spirit that is coming out, but there's a lot more to do and you need to deal with the real impacts as well the kind of economic impacts need to be dealt with i i think it's really unhelpful in um in these in these times for politicians to invoke the the blitz spirit um but i was uh reading something really interesting about the blitz spirit recently uh that was talking a lot about different people felt differently and people were resilient and anxious they were um pulling together uh and buying a few things from the black market and and it was it was a really really complex um situation even then and you sort of think of the blitz spirit it's just it's everyone pulling together the milkman delivering the milk over the over the bombed out rubble but at, at all at all times people are complex uh, our communities are complex and i think this polling bears it out that people are um, anxious and resilient they're uh, hopeful and uh, nervous they're they're suffering and pulling together for their for their neighbors and it's not a kind of a um this tracking polling isn't giving us a is everything good or is everything bad uh, kind of picture um we just we're doing this polling on a regular basis right so we're going to be able to see how things develop over time yeah i mean i think we're going to see things move i mean this is just the first phase and i think the stuff I've been talking about, I mean, we're looking forward to the kind of post-pandemic landscape. And yes, we have that kind of blitz spirit-ish period. But I mean, a lot of that is also quite romanticised. But it's it's looking what happens afterwards. And I mean, are we going to have a moment like we did after the war? Like, what is going to happen there? And I think that's really where our interests lie. Cool. We're going to leave it there. I, um, I just want to... Uh, let everyone know that you can see all of the polling that Rosie's uh, done and her analysis on hopenothate.org.uk slash coronavirus, uh, which is also the hub for uh, all of our articles of tracking the far right's conspiracy theories and everything else. And uh, uh, just a big thank you to uh, all of Hope Not Hate members uh, who help uh, uh, help us to to do episodes like this and, and, and other podcasts like it. Uh, if you want to become a member, you can go to hopenothate.org.uk and click on the big red become a member button. It's it's really big you can't miss it so um if you if you aren't a member and, and can uh chip in a few pounds each month uh, uh please do rosie is there any note you want to leave people on i think just kind of a big takeaway for now is that kind of positive sense of community and i think there's there's all the more reason to keep that up all right thanks very much and thanks for listening <laughs>